The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. So today, um, we'll be talking about what happens after the new streams. So after we've gotten new streams, what happens? But before we go into, um, into what we're doing today, I just thought we should do a quick background to what it means, what new streams means um, to us in God's favorite house. So at the beginning of the year, we had gotten the prophecy, a set of prophecies concerning the year. Um, if you please put it up on the screen. One was that new streams and rivers were going to flow, that we will experience freshness. The second was that it will be a year of multiple colors, beautiful colors streaming out, amen. But that this year we will need courage. You know, then if you were here on the 7th of January, I believe, pastor broke it down what he meant. So he said the implications was that, Number one, God will bring about new streams of multiple colors. You know, he gave us the Bible verse, Job 38 verse 14. And he said that we will need courage because when God sheds light into our lives, he will stop the hands of the wicked and of course the wicked will fight back. So the fact that God is bringing new streams of colors also means that you need courage. The second thing was that God will bring about new streams of new wine. If you open your heart to the Holy Spirit, you will get new unction, overflowing spirit, and fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit. You will also get new initiatives and ideas from the Holy Spirit. All this, I'm, re, I'm re, you know, recounting what pastor taught us already. So this is just the foundation. Um, what of caution here is that as you experience new streams of new wine, you know, you can't put new wine into an old wine skin. The way you used to do things before has to change because God has brought what? New streams. The third implication he taught us that day was that God will bring about new streams of wealth. Amen. Isaiah 65 to 11. This was where he told us that, you know that Bible verse that says our, day, our gates will be open day and night and merchants worldwide will bring us wealth. But he said also that we need courage to experience these new streams of wealth. You know, he used the Yoruba adage that day to say that the wealth is in the mouth of a lion. And he said that um, if you are not courageous, how can you go and take wealth from the mouth of a lion? The fourth thing he taught us that day was that God will bring about new streams of peace. That everything that has troubled us in every area of our life, God will give us peace. So that's another um, prophecy we can hold on to this year because it will happen. Um, he also taught us that, told us that God will bring us new streams of opportunities. This was where he used the Bible verse in um, Revelation chapter 3 verse 8. You know, how God will open doors no man can close. Um, here, he told us that opportunities are disguised as problems. Using the example of David, when David met Goliath. Finally, he taught us that, he told us that God will bring new streams of life. Ezekiel 47, 8. I'll read that verse. 
um, from NLT. Bible says, then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the, Red, of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. The river that will flow from God into your life will make every salty water in your life fresh and pure in the mighty name of Jesus. So that's just the preamble. You know, um, new stream, I went through all that, which you already have in your notebooks anyway. So that new, when I say new streams, you'll be able to connect to all those things I've said before. So for you, it might be everything. But for you, for some people, it might be new streams of wealth alone, etc, etc. So let's now get into what we're doing today. And it's just um, speaking quickly about the different, maybe personality types that um, you can identify after new streams have happened. As we're seated here today, um, some of us will exhibit maybe one or multiple personality types that we will soon talk about. But everyone here will react to new streams in a certain way. So what do I mean? When God opens that door of freshness in people's lives, when he opens the new streams of wealth, of opportunities, new life, etc., everybody reacts in one of these following eight ways. Uh, it might be more, but I, I, I could only identify eight. So we'll go to the um, personality profiles very quickly. The first one is the forgetter. Some of the words I'll use might not be technical English words. I made them up. It made sense to me. I don't know if there's anything called like a forgetter, but it made sense to me putting this together. So bear with me and don't say it outside, please. The forgetter. Who is the forgetter? For us to see the profile of the forgetter, we should actually go into the Bible. Exodus 1, 11 to 14. We're going to read right after that. Exodus 14, 11 to 12. Then we will read Exodus 2, 11 to 12. We're reading the story of the Israelites. And they are the perfect example of forgetters. Um, the first one, Exodus 1, 11 to 14, reading from NLT. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them out with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Rames, Rames, Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. Everybody say, without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Exodus 1, 11 to 14 shows us exactly what was going in, on in the life of the Israelites when they were in captivity. We see words like crushing labor. We see words like without mercy. We see words like ruthless. So we know exactly what was going on in their lives, right? Okay, so let's listen to the forgetters in Exodus 14, 11 to 12. The Bible said, the Israelites said to Moses... 
Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? When there are enough graves for us in Egypt, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this will happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now, for us to also remember what was going on with the Israelites, these people that are saying you should have left us alone. They were suffering so much that one day that Moses left the palace and he walked by and he saw one of the Egyptian taskmasters punishing the same Israelites, beating him up. Moses looked left, looked right, thought nobody was looking and killed the Egyptian. That was the extent of the suffering of these people. But right after their new streams, when they had just seen wonderful things that God had done, I mean, this was after the ten plagues. This was after walking through the middle of an ocean. The same people were saying, why did you not leave us alone? Now, at every time there's a new stream, there will always be a forgetter that has forgotten how bad the situation was before God came in. And will very quickly start complaining about things that don't make sense. That were you still in that situation, you won't even be able to think about issues like that. So I want everyone as we go through to examine their heart. Where do I fall? So that's the first profile, the forgetters. The second profile we're going to go through is the complainer. So the complainer is related to the forgetter. Actually, the reason why the complainer is a complainer is because the complainer was first a forgetter. Because if you really think about the goodness of God and what he's done in your life, you, you will not complain. Even when difficult times come and you are, you, you are you know, hurting and things are going you know, in a very tough way, you will still try and remember, you know, God, when you did this to me and when you did that for me, but if you go through the forgetting phase, the next phase that comes is the complaining phase. And this is an extremely dangerous phase, as you will see. Exodus 16, 2 to 3. The Bible says, There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to, to death. So this was when they were going through the wilderness. They were looking for meat. They didn't have meat. And they were now remembering Egypt. I don't know if it's true that they sat around pots that had meat and they had bread. You know, when we read about them, they were walking them to death. So I don't know if it's when they finish walking them to death that they now give them meat. I don't know. But let's even say we believe the Israelites that really they were eating meat. Surely meat eaten in slavery should be different from food eaten in freedom. But it's difficult for a complainer to see the difference between these two situations. Let's read Exodus 17 to, to 3. 
So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Thank you. Now, before we go on, um, this should not be seen as, I mean, clearly, we're not, I'm certainly not in any position to judge the Israelites or judge anybody. They were going through hardship. The truth is that God had saved them, but at some point in time, they didn't have water. At some point in time, they didn't have food that they were used to. So these were genuine hardship items that they were complaining about. Was it real that they didn't have water? Yes. Was it real that they didn't have meat? Yes. But was God providing for them in other ways? Yes. Was the reaction right? No. And before we go ahead um, reading this, we should also think of the fact that um, we will have semblances of situations like this. I mean, it won't be meat or water. It will be sometime we're praying to God for something. I don't know. We, be, we become born again and because we've given our life to Christ, um, the dodgy sources of income we used to have before, of course, will dry away because they should dry away. And then you're like, ah, before I give my life to Christ, so I, the life I used to live was much better than this. Now I'm suffering. I can't even buy new clothes or new shoes. We have to be careful before we turn into this second profile of the complainer. And the only way we can avert that kind of situation is if we document the goodness of God in our lives. I personally believe that everyone should have their personal psalms. When David, when you read the Psalms of David, he's talking about actual things. He's talking about, oh, when the bear came and the lion came and the what's it called? Those, that was his reality. Clearly, no bear or lion is going to move near you. Hopefully, no. But you would have situations of when I couldn't pay the Nepa bill and suddenly someone came to my door. You should write your personal Psalm. Because if you don't write it when you're in the middle of the issue, or you don't write it immediately after God has brought you out, before you realize you will become a forgetter or a complainer because that is what life does to us it takes something that is huge like a miracle from god and it lets us start looking at it as if mm, even if god hadn't come through himself somehow i would have been sorted so if there's anything you're going to take away from this character type it is to learn in the middle just as god gives you that testimony write it down in your own words and go back to it when you're going through a difficult time. That's the only reason David could be encouraged. Because he remembered when he was standing, when he was trying to go to Goliath. He remembered that God had helped him before. Had he forgotten about it, he would not have been encouraged. Okay? So we've learned about two character types. The first one is the forgetter. And the second one is the complainer. Um... So we're skipping a Bible verse there. 
you can read it later, is Exodus 11, 1 to 4. Is when they continued complaining about... Actually, I think we should read it because it talks about the consequences of complaining. Exodus 11, 1 to 4 says, Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. The Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to God, the fire stopped. Even though God had done this amazing stopping fire, you know, he was going to punish them and then Moses came to intercede and he stopped the fire. It didn't stop them from complaining because when you go to verse 4, these people continued complaining. And it was almost as if their destiny was sealed. You couldn't continue complaining about God even though he was trying his best to take care of you and they would have expected to come out of the wilderness. Now, for all of us, none of us will be stuck in the wilderness or even die in the wilderness. But for that to happen, we cannot be that complainer. We cannot. Regardless of what our situation is in life, God will help us not to be the complainer in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, after you've graduated from being a complainer, the next step is to be the rebellious. So this is the third character type. Psalm 78 verse 9 to 17 talks about the children of Israel and their rebellion. Actually, between Numbers 11 to Numbers 21, there were seven cases of Israelites either rebelling against God, murmuring, or they were sham misbehaving. At least seven instances from Numbers 11 to Numbers 21. But Psalm 78, um, let's read it quickly, says... The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instruction. They forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors on the plain of Zoan in the land of Egypt. For he divided the sea and led them through, making the water stand up like walls. In the daytime, he led them by a cloud, and all night by a pillar of fire. I'll skip to 17. Yet, they kept sinning against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in all their hearts, demanding the food they craved. I'll skip to 21. When the Lord heard them, he was furious. There's only one reaction one can draw from God if you are rebellious. It's fury. God will only deal with a rebellious child in a certain way. I mean, he's a God of love. He'll try, he'll try. But when he is done, it will be to deal with the rebellious person with fury. God will not deal with any of us with fury in Jesus' mighty name. So I had said that there were seven cases of rebellion between um, Numbers 11 and 21. We won't read them because we really don't have time, but I'll just quickly mention them. I think they're on the screen. So if you want to take a picture of the screen or you want to write down the verses, we can quickly do that. 
But I mean, by the time you read through all these seven cases of rebellion of com- or complaining, you kind of get a picture why God said these ones are not going to the promised land. Our own situation will not be like this in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to move to the next category now. We're going to number four. Category four is the um, cowardly. The cowardly. There's some people that when they heard the prophecy of this year and, you know, they were hearing, oh, there'll be new streams of opportunities, new streams of this, new streams of that, that it's either that they couldn't really picture that God could do it for them. Maybe they didn't think they were worthy. Or they're just, you know, there's some people scared to be rich, right? You know, there's some people that are scared of being rich, of being wealthy, because they believe that if they are poor, nobody will pay attention to them. They're scared of God. Let's not even use wealth. They're scared of God's blessings because they think that, oh, if I, if I'm not so blessed by God, then the witches and wizards in the village will leave me alone. Let me just continue doing life this way, which is a big fat lie because whether you are rich or not, it's better for you to at least even be uh, <laughs> so that you will understand why they're, you know. There are some people that react to prophecies without courage. And one of, the, one of the things that we're told at the beginning of this year is that we have to be courageous. There are some people that God takes them. He shows them. And he's shown some people here, probably between 1st of January till now, He's shown them where they're going to be, the extent to which they're, be, they're going to be promoted. And they're like, ah, I don't have the capacity for this. So wait, I'm not ready yet. Or we're showing them, oh, you're going to be ministering to thousands of people and people will receive Christ. And you're like, uh-uh, that's not me. That's for the ministers in GFH. I'm just a worker. But it's a prophecy that has gone out. And if you engage it, will be fulfilled. But if you, deal, if you don't deal with it with courage, it might not be fulfilled. And the fact that it won't be fulfilled doesn't mean that it didn't come from God. It just meant that it wasn't engaged with properly. So let's look at examples. Numbers 13. 31 to 33. This is a very familiar passage. Pastor has preached from this recently. This is where we're talking about the people that went to the promised land. The Bible says, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. This was Caleb and Joshua. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Now, 
we've heard this from Papi before. Were they really small compared to the Anak people? Yes. Um, was the land flowing with milk and honey? Yes. But could they see the milk and honey? No. Why couldn't they see the milk and honey? They were focused on the size of the giants. Meanwhile, God was showing them milk, honey, new streams. Because of their fear, they contaminated the people that didn't even go to this place. So much so that in Numbers 14, 1 to 5, the Bible says the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. The men, the women, the children, the old cried all night. God had shown them a picture of their new streams. And their reaction was to cry all night. I don't even want to imagine what Moses, Caleb, and Joshua would have been going through. Because they're like, look, your victory has come. Your freedom has come. And they're like, no, we can't go. They're going to kill us. And this is what happens to us. And this is what, you know, in this particular case, it won't happen to us. But in this particular case, this is why they completely lost out. Because they had lost the battle in their hearts already. They were cowardly, even though God had promised them certain things. It was impossible for them to see the milk and honey because all they could focus about were the giants. And it's easy for us to look at the Israelites and say they were really silly. The only reason why we can say that, I don't think they were silly. I think we just have the benefit of hindsight. What is that situation? What is that thing God is showing you? And you are thinking of the giants instead of thinking of the breakthrough. God is, start, is showing you that you're going to start a new business and all you're focused on is that banks don't give loans to SMEs. But God is showing you that, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be this entrepreneur. You know, people are going to be buying goods from you all over the world. And all you can think about is businesses, most businesses fail in the first two years. Doing that is doing exactly what the Israelites did. Why are some a small people, two people, saw milk and honey, the rest of the community saw death and suffering? How is it possible? It's the same picture. So we need to take this away to what God is ministering in our hearts concerning new streams. There will be big, audacious dreams. Now, you need, you need to stand in the place of prayer and engage until you can see yourself in it. Even if it's all you're praying is that God give me the capacity to be able to receive this big thing. Because most of the time, we actually have to pray for capacity. It's too big. But let that be your prayer instead of crying all night. Um, that, the last verse in that, in that scripture, that verse of scripture says, Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. They must have been so heartbroken because it was a difficult place for them to be. What happened to them? So to the cowardly, the result of the cowardly we find in Numbers 14, 20 to 24. We'll just read verse 24. Actually, 23 and 24. God said, those people, those ones that were crying all night, will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. 
But my servant Caleb and the rest of us here, who have a different attitude than the others have, who has remained loyal to, to God, so I will bring him into the land he explored. Amen. Our descendants will possess their full share of that land in Jesus' mighty name. The only way that can happen is if we're courageous. Now we're going to the fifth character type. The believer. Now I'm not talking about Christians. I know we're, we're believers as Christians. I'm talking about the believer. The person that holds on to prophecies or is either they hold on to prophecies that are yet to come, or they hold on to testimonies that they've either seen in their own lives or in the lives of others. Believers keep faith in a situation where they, they, nobody else can see. So if we use the same example of Caleb, and the, Caleb Joshua and the children of Israel, whereas they were cowardly, Joshua was, and Caleb were believers. Why do I say so? In Numbers 14, verse 6 to 9. So if you want to remember the believers, I guess there's one name you can call them. Again, a made-up name. The rememberers. They remember. They never forget the word that God has said. Once they hear a prophecy, they write it down. They record it. They listen to it over and over and over again until it enters their, their heart, their system. They always remember what God has said. Numbers 14, 6 to 9. The Bible says that two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. Verse 8. Please um, underline verse 8 in your Bibles. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. Amen. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Why were Joshua and Caleb believers? Because they remembered what God has said to them. A prophecy that they grew up to meet. Where God had said he would always be with them. So even though they could see the giants and they were not being delusional, they were saying to the Israelites and to themselves that if God is pleased with us, it will bring us into that land and give it to us. They could only say that because they remembered who God was, what he could do, and what he had said. They were telling the Israelites that these people have no protection, but God is with us. It was because they could remember the prophecy. They could remember the personal testimonies they had had. That was why they could be called believers. Believers hold on to a prophecy. They hold on to a prophecy. They remember. Another example of a believer is David. 
Remember that I said believers are not Christians. We're not using it in the Christian context. We're using it in the New Streams context. David in 1 Samuel 17, 37 said, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. We know the end of the story. But for David to believe, he recounted his testimony. He was saying, this same God that helped me in this situation can and will help me in this new situation. This is where your personal psalms come in. If you don't have your own personal psalms, when the problem comes, because problems always look big in the heat of the moment, you might be tempted to forget how big your God is compared to that problem. So we need to adopt the two strategies, two different strategies used here by these examples of believers. Those that held on to the prophecy and, you know, the knowledge of who God is and the one that held on to testimonies of what God had done before in their lives. We'll pause now and just run through all the profiles we have learned so far. I'm mindful that we're saying a lot in a short period of time. So we've done five personality types so far. The first is, and the second is, the, the, the third is, fourth, and the fifth. Amen. Just remember that um, believers are rememberers. The sixth profile is the achiever. Now, it's all well and good to remember and to believe. But until you engage that testimony, not testimony, that prophecy, and it comes to pass, actually, you're a believer, but not yet an achiever. And the perfect example we can find is the story of Caleb, which is very, very motivating. And we'll read that story from Joshua 14, verse 7 to 14. I was 40 years old. This was Caleb talking. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land on Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Verse 10. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all those 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me out on that journey. And I can, tra I can still travel and fight as well as I could then 
So give me the hill country that the Lord has promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb's son of Jephunneh and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Verse 14. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. This is an achiever. He believed that prophecy, and he held on to a prophecy for 45 years. So it's easy for us to read that story and go, yeah, 45 years. Some of us are not even 45 years old yet. Whereas somebody held on to a prophecy for 45, it needs to sink in. Because sometimes you're in worship and God says, I will do this to you. And you keep on waiting that, okay, is it today that you're going to do it? And if God hasn't done it in like three years, you're like, maybe I didn't hear well. Or maybe God is not uh, as powerful as he was. He held on to a prophecy for 45 years. And not only did he hold on, because that would have made him a believer. He engaged, he is, um, these, the achievers are the, uh, pastor calls them action. Action men and women. They will take a prophecy and pray it until they see it. But they will not stop at prayer. When it's time to move and take action, time to apply for that job, time to start for that business, start that business, they go ahead based on the promise they have, they engage and they're like, God, you said you would do this. Therefore, I step out in faith. And because of that, the land of Hebron belongs to the descendants of this courageous man, at least until the day they wrote the Bible, which was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. Because of the courage of an 85-year-old man, how does he even get that kind of courage at that age? How? When his mates are looking at different things and they're, they're, you know, they're like, okay, maybe God can't do it again. But God can because he really doesn't care about age. Even if you're 100, you're a baby to him because he's timeless. So the years we use are mere milliseconds in front of him. So when we get old or we've been waiting for a promise for a long time, you have to realize that the person you are dealing with, you see it as seven years, but he sees it as seven seconds. But it will happen. So this is to the people that have been waiting on God, and that's all of us, for a promise. And it looks as if, oh, this prophecy maybe really wasn't for me in the first place. It was for you. You had believed so far. It is now time to achieve. It's time for what? Action. <laughs> Action. <laughs> so, um, I wrote here that, that the achievers know that there is an action part of prophecy. They are excited about new streams because they ride a wave of a new stream to get into another new stream. <clears throat> 
The seventh. The seventh personality profile is the evangelist. So, the evangelist is different from the believer. The evangelist is different from the um, action one, the achiever. The evangelist, all the evangelist needs to do is for God to bless them. That's it all. The whole world will hear about what God has done. The evangelist is dedicated to sharing the news about new streams because they deeply appreciate the favor of God in their lives. Even though they might not be deserving of it, none of us are, they want others to benefit so they testify. And I'm not only talking about giving a testimony, which is very important. I'm also talking about going out of your way to evangelize by sharing your testimony. There are some people that, it doesn't matter how many people preach to them, they are not moving. But when they hear the story of your life and they're like you, God can bless you like this. That is what will bring them to God. So let's read about examples of evangelists. Mark 5, 18 to 20. This is the, this is the madman that um, Jesus cast out a legion of demons from him. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Verse 20, so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them Jesus said go home and tell your family this evangelist went to 10 towns talking about his testimony what part of his family did he not understand let's even imagine that in the whole village Everybody was related. So it won't be only his extended family. It won't be his nuclear family. It will be the extended family. It will be the village family. But this evangelist took the story of his deliverance to ten towns. Telling everyone, this is what God has done in my life. And even though the Bible doesn't say it, I have no doubt that many people would have been drawn to God by his testimony. Let's move quickly to another example. John 4, where for everybody that has been at Thrive, we've done a bit. <laughs> Pastor has taught us a, a lot from, um, this is the story of the Samaritan woman. John 4, 39. Verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Immediately, she finished meeting Jesus. She went straight to town. 
And this other example of evangelist was saying, I met someone. He told me everything I'd ever done. And because of her, many believed. Because they believed, they asked Jesus to stay. Because they stayed, because Jesus stayed, they believed the more and many more believed. Okay. So the people sitting in front of us today, out of the many things God has done for you, how many have you been an evangelist about? Because you see, the key, one of the keys to sustaining new streams and getting more is being an evangelist. Because the more you talk to people about the goodness of God, the more God's name is glorified, and the more you show that you are a steward worthy of re- receiving more new streams. I believe that, you know, we, have, we all have different personality types. You know, not everybody will stand here in front of people. Not everybody will be able to come here and give a testimony. But you have your, you have your style, you have your rhythm. If your own is to send WhatsApp messages, send it. If it's to send emails, send it. If it's for you to meet people in a live group and tell, talk about your testimony, then do that. But by all means necessary, we must be evangelists of the goodness of God in our lives. Amen. The last character type is the worshiper. And I, I, and I almost think that this is the most powerful. Of course, out of the eight, um, you'll find out that you can be two or three at the same time. Um, hopefully the good ones. <laughs> but I think um, the worshiper is a combination of many powerful character types. The worshiper is definitely a believer. The worshiper is definitely an achiever. The worshiper is definitely an evangelist. The worshiper knows that when God does something good, like what he did for us at God Will Do It Again service last Sunday, it is time to set up an altar. Nobody needs to tell the worshiper about altars. The worshiper knows that that is the next course of action. So what do we mean by altars? We're definitely not talking about wood and uh, animal sacrifices. Yeah, there should be a definition on the screen. The word altar in scripture means a place of slaughter and sacrifice where blood was shed and death took place. A symbolized acknowledgement of, approach to, and appreciation of God. In other words, worship. The first time we see this is in Genesis 8, 20 20 to 22, when Noah sacrificed clean animals as burnt offerings to express his worship, and a sweet savor rose up to God. So let's read examples of worshippers so that we can learn to live a life of worship, to be a worshipper in reaction to new streams. Genesis 12, 7 to 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar. Altar there and dedicated, dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up a camp in the hill country. With Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to God and the and the to, to the Lord. 
And he, the Lord, arose. Am I reading the right thing? Who taught Abraham to build an altar? Did he get a set of instructions that, oh, when you get a new stream, then step one, you build an altar. Subsection one, this is how you build an altar. You start by kneeling down in your house, in your private, area, private room in your house, and raising up worship to God. Nobody taught him. Nobody teaches worshipers. They know that when God does it, the next thing is to set up an altar. And if you, if you see the life of worshipers like this, they get over and over and over new streams. We see another example of Abra- Abram. Genesis 13, 1 to 4. So, Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai. There they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar. And there he worshipped the Lord again. Worshippers will not let any opportunity pass them by. Immediately they even hear that God has done, before they even hear what God has done again, immediately they engage with the altar. This was showing that Abraham traveled. He traveled back past where he had built an altar. And the first thing he did was to go there and worship again. So that when we're talking about Abraham's blessings and we're talking about how God has been good to him, we need to remember the fact that Abraham or Abraham, however you pronounce his name, was a worshipper. Another example of a worshipper was David. I mean, we read Psalm 103 here a lot. And it's, it's such a fantastic psalm because Psalm 103... Um, talks about different facets of God's greatness in one psalm. And it's showing like David surrendering completely in worship to God. I will praise you with everything I have within me. I'll praise you with all my heart. You that you did this. You that you did that. And it is total surrender. Worshippers don't care who is looking at them or if their makeup is streaming. It doesn't matter that their mascara is leaving streaks on their face. It doesn't matter that they're sweating or whatever. What matters is that they're engaged in worship of the Most High God. And that worship, they believe he must get it how he wants it, he being God. It is total abandon, total surrender. The kind of surrender that will make David be dancing in a funny way that even his wife was mocking him and his clothes. You know what happened to his clothes? That is a worshipper. Someone that cares more about the person he's worshipping than him, himself, or herself. The third example, and there are many, many examples of worshippers in the Bible, is Solomon. So 1 Kings 8, 17 to 19, and 2 Chronicles 7, 1 to 4. In 1 Kings 8, 17 to 19, 
you know, he talks about, Solomon was talking about, look, my father David was one that wanted to build the temple. But God said it won't be him, but his son that will build the temple. So Solomon realized that news, saw this building a temple as a new stream. It was a new stream of opportunity. It was a new stream of many, many good new streams. And in return, Solomon released worship to God in a way that God had to react and release more new streams to Solomon. So we'll read 2 Chronicles 7, 1 to 4. Um, and that's probably the last verse in this discussion. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burnt up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. Worshippers know that you don't come into the presence of God with empty hands. How can you be saying thank you with nothing? And they will give almost excessively to their own limit in order to show appreciation to the Most High God. Personally, I believe that if anyone is going to continue new streams and get new streams over and over and again, it will most likely be the worshiper. So, as we close today's teaching, I want all of us to search into our hearts and think of where, what category we find ourselves in. In a lot of cases, we'll be in multiple categories where we need to ask God for forgiveness, for being a forgetter, for being a complainer or rebellious. Let's do that. Where we need to do more, you know, being a believer, being an achiever, being a worshiper, let's do more. And God himself will bless us in the mighty name of Jesus. Um, with all eyes closed, if there's anyone here who is saying that, I don't even know what you're talking about, what does new streams mean? I don't even know. I haven't heard it before. I don't even think God will give me any new streams because I don't know him. And you think that you want to engage God in a different way. You want to be a believer in the true sense of the word. If you are here and you want to take that step today, please put your hand up so that we can slip a card into your hand. There's a hand over there. anyone else okay let's pray father we thank you we thank you for your word we thank you for moving in our midst we thank you almighty god for the new streams we thank you as you take us on this path of being worshipers we thank you because we know that our own new streams will be permanent
in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, for your daughter that wants to start this journey with you, it is a journey she will not regret. Father, Lord, every, every sin that she has sinned before now, you know, your, we, we, the blood of Jesus covers in the mighty name of Jesus. From now on, she has moved from the camp of the enemy into the house of the Most High God. Therefore, God himself will be her habitation in the mighty name of Jesus. And for her, on that last day, when all of us will face judgment, her seat will not be missing in your house. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed.